We've had a full day of practice. And uh, I've heard from some people that they've had some sleepiness today. And I've heard from other people that they've had some uh, restlessness, mental restlessness or physical restlessness today. And, uh, and I've heard from some people that they had both, going back and forth between the two or maybe both at once. Is that true for some of you? Yeah. Well, it's uh, completely normal. Just something I said a lot in the meetings I had with people today. Oh, that's completely normal. Um, it's not a problem. And I know it can be frustrating on a, on a short retreat to, to have this uh, restlessness or the uh, sleepiness. It's really natural to want the mind to settle and, and be clear. But they're just another aspect, these mind states are just another aspect of practice of our experience that we can be mindful of and that we can uh, accept and, and learn to work with. And they're part of a list of, uh, of mind states that are really common in daily life and informal practice, and they're really important for us to be aware of. They're a big part, actually, of our practice, I think. And they're called the five hindrances. And they're called hindrances because they hinder our ability to see clearly, to be really mindful. Uh, they color our perception of experience, and sometimes in dramatic ways and sometimes in subtle ways. And they, they get in the way of developing a composure, unification of mind, uh, samadhi, concentration. They're often called the hindrances to concentration. But I think the word hindrance, um, you know, it's, it has a kind of negative connotation. And, uh, and they do hinder, they do prevent something from happening. But if we turn toward them, they're also doorways to, uh, to insight, to uh, self-knowledge, to the kind, of, the kind of understanding of ourselves that is onward leading. So the five uh, of them are, the first is usually translated as sensual desire. And that's desire for any kind of sense pleasure, for sights, sounds, tastes, smells, kinds of touch that we find attractive, that we find pleasurable, that give us comfort. And it also uh, refers to desire for certain kinds of mental activity, like uh, uh, fantasies, for instance. So that's the first, sensual desire. And the second is ill will or aversion. And that covers the full spectrum of, uh, uh, from hatred, you know, to just a slight irritation, a uh, little bit of impatience. And that's directed towards ourselves, directed towards other people, um, either one, with, and all with a flavor, a kind of flavor of unfriendliness, of uh, pushing away, rejecting. And Inez is going to speak about these two tomorrow. And the third and the fourth uh, of these hindrances each have two aspects to them. Uh, the third is sloth and torpor. I, just, I really actually love that <laughs> phrase. It's kind of archaic, but I love it. Sloth and torpor, because it seems very dis descriptive. Um, or sometimes it's called uh, uh, lethargy and sleepiness. Or lethargy and mm, sleepiness is good enough. And the fourth is uh, restlessness and regret or worry. And I'm going to be talking about those two tonight, sloth and torpor and restlessness or regret.
And the fifth of these hindrances is doubt. And in this context, uh, that specifically refers to doubt in regard to the practice. So it uh, gives rise to the thinking like, you know, should I do mindfulness or should I do metta? I'm not sure what's right for me. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I have the right mind for this. I don't know if this practice is right. That kind of, that kind of doubt. It's the kind of doubt that leads to indecision, ambivalence, um, uncertainty, being stuck, you know. And there's the, there's the expression paralyzed by doubt. It's that kind of doubt, the kind of doubt that, that gets you stuck, not the kind that leads you to explore and uh, ask questions and find, uh, find new ways of looking at things that leads to inquiry. So these five, they visit us all from time to time. You know, maybe they visit us a lot of the time, sometimes anyway, both on and off the cushion. They, you know, they're, they're present throughout our lives. They're part of life. And one or another might be stronger at different times, and sometimes there are several present at once. Sometimes we talk about uh, multiple hindrance attacks in this, <laughs> in this uh, tradition. Um, And it's kind of good to have a sort of a light attitude, I think, about that. Um, So we want to get to know them, you know, and they can teach us really a lot about the way our minds habitually work, especially the way our minds habitually work that aren't working quite so well for us. And if you pay attention, you might find that one of them is a kind of default for you. Um, that's pretty common, that some of us tend to look at the world with an eye to um, what will give us pleasure, um, some with an eye to, you know, what we need to get rid of in order to feel pleasure. Um, some tend, t- tend to ignore what's happening, kind of just be asleep to our experience. Um, some of us have minds or bodies that are often restless, always kind of moving from one thing to another, finding it difficult to settle. And some of us habitually just doubt ourselves and in uh, our path and can't can't decide how to proceed. But for most of us, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, from time to time, depending on the time, depending on the conditions. So I'm going to be speaking of these two. Sloth and torpor and restlessness and regret because they're often uh, really prevalent on the first day and I'm sure a lot of you, as I said before, really experience them today. And I also, I know about them quite well, actually, from the experiential side. Uh, Restlessness is, that's kind of my main uh, hindrance. And I really, I feel like restlessness is the energy that really drives our culture. and especially today with so many uh, inputs, you know, all the electronic inputs that, that we have, so much sensory stimulation, you know, just in that one little, that little thing you often have in your hand or your pocket, the smartphone, you know, it's got visual, it's got auditory, it's got words you can read, it's got, you know, you can find out anything that you want to find out, at just literally at the tip of your fingers. And, you know, to what end, really? What's the effect of it? Often it's just addictive and uh, it just takes us away from what's happening in the present moment. I was talking to a friend just last week about this, about uh, about doing a Google search. I, ha- I was thinking of, uh, who's the guy who sang the song Lucille about Lucille? So, you know, you just 
type it in, Google. Lucille, oh, oh, it's Kenny Rogers. Oh, yeah, I remember him. And then follow a link. What was that other song he sang? Oh, it was the one about the gambler, you know, you know when to hold them, no Oh, didn't he get cancer? And then you, you know, <laughs> and pretty soon it's like, that's how it goes. And then, um, you know, a half an hour later, I mean, the next day, who cares? I don't even remember the guy's name. And even a half an hour later, what's, uh, do I care whether I knew that or not? Is it necessary for me? But, you know, still it goes on. Do I need to check my email, you know, every hour? Do I need to look at the New York Times uh, four or five times a day to see if there's any new news? Is there ever any new news, you know? And so this restlessness is often the culprit. So we, we want to look at it, see what's underneath it. And aside from that electronic input, you know, our lives are, are also very full outside of that. And for many of us, uh, there's this drive to be, uh, to do more, to be more productive. Um, and our society, our culture really expects that of us. And uh, as a result, I think, you know, I know it's true for me, if I have a, a half hour of free time in the day, you know, can I just sit and enjoy a cup of tea? Can I take a leisurely walk? Often there's this pressure to, you know, do something, always be doing something, making something happen. You know? The image in the suttas for this uh, mental state, restlessness, is a wind-whipped pond or a wind-whipped body of water. Sometimes it's a bowl of water. You can't see into it clearly because there's all this chop on the surface. And that seems like a really good analogy to me, that sense of a choppy, uh, choppy ocean. And often the way I feel it is a kind of uh, a feeling in my chest, a pressure that's, uh, that's unpleasant. It's unpleasant, but it's associated with a need that I, that I, a sense that I need to do something, that I need to fix something, I need to finish something, I need to get started on something. There's a kind of leaning forward into the next moment that's both physical and mental. There's no rest. It's without rest. It's restless. And daily life, I think, you know, it's so active that this feeling of restlessness, often it just gets, uh, you know, it slips by without us noticing it. Um, and then we come to sit, to meditate, or we come on retreat, and we intentionally drop all this busyness, and we drop the electronic inputs, thank goodness for that. And then the restlessness can begin to stand out, kind of in relief, high relief. This past week, I've been here at IRC this whole last week on my own for a lot of the week and uh, not, not without much to do except prepare for the, this retreat. And the first couple of days, uh, there was a great deal of restlessness in me. Um, I, would, I have some daily routines. I'd get up in the morning and I'd have a cup of tea and then I'd meditate and then I'd uh, make some breakfast. Um, check my email, wash the dishes, then make s maybe do some necessary communications or work on my talk, and then uh, meditate again maybe, and then have lunch. And then th the afternoon was kind of open, you know, it was just open space. And uh, as soon as uh, there was that open time without the kind of security of my routine to fill it, 
I started feeling like I needed to do something, you know, I need to do something here. There was that pressure, that tightness, some need to fill the space. And actually, I'm a person who really loves that space. I just love empty space with, you know, nothing to do. But there's this habitual feeling of needing to fill it, to be productive, to get everything done. Yeah, that sense. If I can just get everything done, then I can relax. You know. (laughs) (laughs) Are we ever going to get everything done? It's not going to happen. So when I saw that happening this week, and then and then began to just intentionally take the time to sit and relax, to meditate in the middle of the day. The relief was just, it was really palpable in both my mind and my body. They were so grateful to me for doing that. And when I went back to work that was really necessary, like working on this talk, for instance, my mind was much clearer, much more relaxed, much more calm. But when I just followed the restless impulse, those first couple of days I kind of did that. I'd maybe do a chore or I'd, uh, you know, sit and surf the web a little bit. That feeling of needing to do more just fueled more of the same feeling. It didn't relieve it. So as I said, restlessness is my, it's my most common hindrance. And it's sometimes not so easy to notice when the days are full of activity, but coming here, dropping things, then it becomes apparent. And sometimes I hear people, complain that they don't think that much in daily life. Often students will say that at at our sitting group in Santa Barbara. People will say, you know, when I come to meditate, my mind is just full of thoughts, but it's not like that during the day. (laughs) 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 And they say that when they come on retreat, I hear people say that, but you know, I, mean, I kind of, I got, I think you all realize our, our minds are always thinking. I think we think really a lot. I think we think probably most of the time there's some kind of thinking going on. But in the midst of all this other sensory activity and all this input, it just goes by unnoticed. So here we sit, we walk, we eat, we do a little job, and then we're asked to be present to what's going on what's going on in our minds, in our breath, our bodily sensations, whatever is present. And what we see going on in our minds is just this nonstop activity. So restlessness can manifest um, either in the body or in the mind or in both. And, uh, and strong physical restlessness can often, you know, it can make it hard to sit, can make it hard to sit still for sure. And if the energy is mostly mental, um, sometimes there's like a hamster wheel of, you know, obsessive thinking going over the same thing again and again. Um, And sometimes there's just uh, a lot of thinking, moving from one thought to another, a kind of uh, monkey mind. You've probably heard that expression where the mind just grabs from one thought, then swings to the next, just like a a monkey swinging through uh, the forest. And sometimes there's just a slight agitation, you know, a kind of that feeling of leaning forward or pressure that I described in myself, either in the mind or the body. And with mental restlessness, it can be hard to focus, you know, hard to maintain um, focus on on any one thing, just that jumping from one thing to another like uh, the monkey mind. 
and that, I think that image of wind chop is really is really descriptive of of the mental aspect, both aspects, physical as well. And if you look um, closely, I think at um, at physical restlessness, unless there's something happening like a caffeine, too much caffeine or other stimulant in you, I, I think it's usually the result, it's just the residue of mental restlessness. And there's there gets to be a kind of uh, like a feedback loop, a neurological um, thing that happens where the restless thoughts um, cause the uh, release of stress chemicals, stress hormones that then affect our bodies, they make our heart beat faster, they make us get warmer, hotter, and, uh, and that feeling of kind of nervousness. And then that further stresses, uh, further uh, um, causes more, uh, more of the th- kind of uh, restless thinking. So it's like a, a vicious circle. And sometimes um, entering retreat where it's more simple, as I described, our s- more simple way of spending our days. There can be a craving even for more input. And the mind responds to that craving by uh, generating all kinds of thinking, you know. But planning next week, you know, what am I going to do when I get home? Rehashing last week, all the things that happened with everybody you spoke to, going over old grievances, anything to avoid being present to what's actually here, which is, you know, might seem boring because it's so simple. It's so uh, kind of plain, just being, walking, sitting, walking, eating a meal, doing a little yogi job. So something that's really good to look at is what does your mind do when you feel bored? What does it do? How does it respond? And for many of us, there is this this uh, urge to fill the space with uh, plans, worries, fantasies, all kinds of mental activity. But the present moment isn't inherently boring or interesting. The present moment is just what it is. It's the f- judge calling it boring is just a judgment that that the mind makes. And even if there's a sense of relief, if there isn't the craving for uh, more input, even if there's a sense of relief in the s- in the slower pace that uh, that we get to practice here on retreat, there can be a kind of a storehouse of this restless energy that's um, built up in our bodies and in our minds. When we first arrive on retreat, there's, I think, for most of us, there's a whole lot of of stuff that we bring from our uh, from our lives at home. And we can just let it sort of uh, slowly unwind if we're, uh, if we're able to not get involved in the thinking and just watch it, just watch it unwind. It's kind of like the analogy of a, of a clock, like the mainspring of a clock. If you can remember the days when we used to wind clocks and they weren't all digital. You've you wind up the clock and then it just, it has to unwind at its own pace. You can't make it go faster if you try to make it go faster. It just breaks the clock. But you can sit with it and you can let it unwind. And sometimes even after the mind has settled somewhat and let go of a, a lot of the stuff from that we've brought with us on retreat, there still might be the effects of this uh, restlessness in the body that that are still there. 
um, like I was saying before, the physical restlessness is often the result of mental restlessness. So even after the after the uh, the mind has has uh, settled somewhat, um, and you can but you can feel maybe a tightness in the jaw or a frown in the forehead or other kinds of evidence of physical uh, sort of tension and stress and restlessness, heart, fast heartbeat. Um, there's some, it's like there's re- residual energy that just has to be discharged, electrical energy. And if you can sit, you know, and just hold it, hold it with kindness, um, it might slowly let go. Sometimes uh, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, um, in in the old days, <laughs> like 30 years ago or so, um, sometimes you'd turn off a, ca- a car engine, and if the car wasn't uh, tuned properly, if it was kind of out of tune, it, it would the the engine would keep running. It would go boom, 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 and then it would stop, and then it would go boom, 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 boom again. And I think it's a little bit like that. It's just you have to kind of cool the whole system in order for it to to stop. And the other aspect of this uh, hindrance of, uh, of restlessness is a mental agitation that's related to regret or worry. And uh, regret is, uh, it usually arises due to, you know, um, thoughts about unskillful things that we've done in the past, things we might have said that we regret, things like that. And the mind won't settle as a result of, a, a result of this kind of... Uh, memory or rehashing, trying to change the past, you know, with our thinking. Or um, the other side of that is worry, which is a a similar kind of energy, but is directed towards uh, the future rather than the past. So one thing I've noticed is that often people um, who who worry a lot have an unconscious belief this was true of me, so I'm talking about myself as well, it's not true anymore, that somehow worrying is somehow taking action, you know, that it somehow has a a productive effect on whatever the situation is, but I can tell, like it's preventative or something, but I can't point to a single example in my life where it's ever had (laughs) any kind of positive effect. So how do we work with this uh, restlessness and regret or worry? First is we have to see that it's there. You know, we can't we can't do anything uh, about anything unless we know it's there. So first we see it. There's restlessness. Okay. And as with any um, unpleasant mind state that uh, that arises in meditation, we want to approach it with an attitude of acceptance. Okay. There's restlessness here. This is how it is. And as Gill often says, hold it with kindness and be still. That's really good advice about so many things. Hold it with kindness and be still. And then get interested in it, you know. And that's also always a really good approach to anything in our meditation practice. Get interested in it. What does it feel like in the body? What does it feel like in the mind? You know, what are the qua- what's the quality of the thoughts that it leads to? Don't get hooked in the thinking itself, but what's the flavor of the thoughts? So we become aware of it, we allow the space to be there, and we get interested. And 
I think there's often a need to be patient with it because it's really, uh, it's a very uncomfortable feeling, I think, especially when we're meditating. We might not notice it in daily life. It might feel kind of like uh, we're energized almost sometimes when there's restlessness. But when I'm sitting and feel restlessness, it always feels um, unpleasant. So patience is really useful with it. And uh, I think it's counterproductive to try to force ourselves to relax when restlessness is present. Out of like dislike for it, you know, out of aversion. We're just cultivating aversion if we do that. But we can maybe allow ourselves to soften around the energy, you know, get interested in it, accept that it's there, and allow ourselves to soften around it. We can breathe into it and give it space. And the breath, uh, the breath can be very helpful in this uh, process, I think. Extending the out-breath, making the out-breath longer than the in-breath, that uh, stimulates the nervous system in a way that, uh, that counteracts those stress chemicals that I mentioned before that are released when we have anxious thoughts. And in this practice, we don't usually try to manipulate the breath in any way. We just breathe naturally, but... But um, when there's strong restlessness present, I think it can be skillful to, to just slow the breath down and extend that uh, exhalation. And we can uh, deliberately cultivate mental factors that, that balance um, this strong energy, like calm and patience, as I mentioned before, concentration. We can allow a kind of a spaciousness in awareness when we're doing meditation practice, uh, when we're doing mindfulness, that allows the energy to kind of thin out. So it's like a releasing a concentrated gas into a big space. You know, it slowly dissipates until it's, uh, it becomes imperceptible. So we can allow our mindfulness to be, to be receptive and open. So rather than looking for sensations, you know, allowing them to come to us, kind of the way I led the meditation, uh, the early one this morning. You might ask yourself, what might be useful to settle my mind right now? And uh, I mentioned the breath. That's, uh, that's one tool. And walking meditation can be really helpful when there's restlessness. Some people um, find that fast walking really helps them to release this energy. And for some people, slow walking and paying close attention to um, the sensations of walking can be helpful. You can experiment, see if one, one or the other works for you. Or maybe, you know, just sitting on a bench and... Uh, Watching the redwood trees, the beautiful redwood trees kind of sway a little bit in the breeze or stay still in the breeze, in the no breeze, which they do sometimes, that can be calming. Gazing at things in nature uh, with really soft eyes has been something I've kind of done intuitively since I was a little girl. And often I sit on the porch here in the front of the building and just uh, let the sight of the sky and the trees uh, balance my mind. Some of us have a kind of a background level of hypervigilance that's going on all the time. Uh, kind of a slight anxiety that, that can kind of pervade our lives. And with this kind of restlessness, I think often it results from, from habits, that really long-standing habits we developed really early in childhood as a way of protecting ourselves in some way. 
And so something in us has to learn that we're safe in order to loosen this tension. And that can take uh, time. But you might ask yourself if you feel like you're um, subject to this kind of anxiety, low-level anxiety, you might ask, how could I feel more safe here? How could I feel more safe here as you sit? And, or imagine the breath that's coming in and out as soothing, uh, soothing your experience, kind of like uh, stroking a cat. You can invoke safety, contentment, stillness, you know, offering yourself metta. May I be safe. May I be at ease. And uh, you can know that it's said in the Buddhist teachings that um, this energy of restlessness will be with us until we're fully liberated. So we've got lots of time to <laughs> get to know it quite well and practice with it. And um, that makes really makes sense to me because it seems like in, as part of our evolution, you know, we were just like biologically programmed to um, to be, a, be on the lookout for predators back when we were uh, more harmless than we are today. So it takes time to learn through patience and through our practice that it isn't necessary to be in this uh, restless state of mind, that it interferes with a full, a full experience of our lives, that it it prevents us from seeing clearly what's really going on. It colors our vision and that it can be released. And in the meantime, we can work with it and we can let it teach us about our minds, noticing when it's there and noticing what triggers are, uh, there are for it and noticing when it's absent, noticing what's underneath it. So the other hindrance that I'm going to talk about is... Um, uh, it feels experientially very different uh, from restlessness, although they often seem to arise uh, in close proximity to each other, and that's a sloth and torpor, lethargy and dullness. Lethargy and dullness. And the metaphor for this uh, hindrance is an algae-filled uh, body of water. So I think that's really, <laughs> it's just so descriptive. You know where there's the chop in restlessness, and sloth and torpor is just like, Glop, you know, it's thick, it's thick, and it's uh, you can't see through it. It's sluggish. So uh, sloth, um <coughs> uh, technically, sloth is a lack of physical energy, and uh, it's a feeling of heaviness. Often, I feel like it's kind of a wet blanket, kind of weighting me down. And torpor is mental fogginess. So sloth is sort of the physical aspect of of this uh, hindrance and, and torpor is the mental aspect. Inability to focus, drifty kind of dozy kind of mind. And I, before I talk about the hindrance, I want to distinguish it from ordinary sleepiness because ordinary sleepiness is, you know, it's physical and it's caused by lack of sleep, you know, not getting enough sleep. And, uh, and it's, it, that's not what's meant by this hindrance. Although you can often work with it in the same ways that you can work with the hindrance. And the, but the cure for physical tiredness, you know, is it's easily named, but it's not always easy to come by. <laughs> More sleep, especially in daily life. And it's possible, you know, it's likely even that the sleepiness that you guys have been um, experiencing today, if you have been experiencing it, is just that, just ordinary sleepiness due to the lack of rest before you got here. 
But there are other causes for a heavy, dull mind that are um, worth investigating. So um, you can pay attention to see if sleepiness and tiredness are only present when you meditate and then they kind of disappear once you get up and are more active. That can be a sign that there's something uh, else going on. And that's, that's where the hindrance comes in. And just like with restlessness, many conditions give rise to, uh, to this sloth and torpor. Sometimes we get dull and tired when we'd rather be doing something other than what we're doing. So there's a kind of frustrated desire in it. Our friends, maybe our friends are all down at the beach. They're having a good time and we're sitting behind a computer in a semi-dark room trying to make the books balance or something. You know, and we, we just suddenly feel drowsy. You know, oh, just really tired. Or there might be acti- really active mental resistance to what we're doing. And, uh, and when I think of this aspect of it, I often think of my son, who we used to take on backpack trips when he was a little boy, like five, six years old. And we'd be hiking in the Sierras, going up, you know, quite a steep pass on the eastern Sierras. And he, the whole time we're hiking, he'd be complaining, I'm so I'm so tired. Can't we stop? Why don't we stop here? <laughs> There's no water, no anything. Why don't we stop here? And then, you know, we finally we get to camp, and there's a beautiful lake, or there's a stream, and all the adults just drop their packs and sit down and are really relaxing, and he just is ready to go at that point. <laughs> so, you know, it's not actual. He wasn't really tired. <laughs> Although, you know, it'd be very hard to convince him that. And the same is true for us often. And sometimes this uh, mental or physical heaviness uh, can be a reaction to frustration or discouragement about the practice or about things in our lives as well. And, and then the kinds of thinking that come out of uh, this kind of discouraged, frustrated um, state of mind drain, drain us further. They just uh, add to the, the, uh, the lack of energy. Things like this is useless, you know, or I never get it right. Why did I agree to do this? Things like that, they just depress our energy. And also there's that boredom piece again, you know, just as with some people um, respond to a sense of boredom by uh, starting to proliferate, you know, try to fill the space with, uh, with some kind of activity, some kind of thinking. Others respond by drifting off into drowsiness. So boredom is a really, it's a very good place for investigation. Sometimes we get sleepy as a, protection from psychological pain that's, uh, that's threatening to reveal itself in meditation. And sometimes we aren't ready to face that pain, you know. So um, at, in that case, it's best to just let it remain hidden, not, not delve for it. But this area has been, it's been a very fruitful one for me in practice. It's been interesting and... Um, on one early 10-day retreat, um, I, it, I had uh, several days where I was quite uh, alert and wakeful. And then in the middle of the retreat, this kind of drowsiness just descended on me. And uh, I had the sense that there was something underneath the heaviness that didn't want to be seen, you know, that I didn't want to look at. 
And at, uh, at some point after it started to feel really frustrating to me, I asked uh, my teacher about it and he suggested that I just drop into my meditation the question, what's going on here? And then just wait, not uh, investigate in any kind of analytical way, no conceptual thinking or anything, just drop the question in and continue with my practice and wait, not try to figure it out. And that had a really um, strong effect. It had a really beneficial result for me. It, after not very long, a half hour or so, I think, um, a situation from my past that I had a lot of remorse about just arose in my memory. And, and when I recognized it and accepted that it was something that I still needed to work with, the sleepiness just disappeared. And I've had similar experiences quite a few times over the years. It's been actually uh, very revealing for me, um, this kind of uh, something hiding under the sleepiness. So, so I don't force anything when I, when I uh, investigate this way. I just will ask if there's something that's been hiding that's ready to be seen. Um, a question that, that is sometimes suggested is, what would I be experiencing if I wasn't sleepy? I think that's a good thing to ask. What would I be experiencing if I wasn't sleepy? And another possible cause uh, for, for this uh, hindrance is related to our hyped up lives, you know, just like restlessness is related to our hyped up lives. And when there isn't a lot of input, we can experience a sudden drop-off of energy, you know, just poof. And I think often in daily life, we kind of, we run on the, the energies of desire and aversion, of going towards something, pushing something away. Kind of throughout the day, there's that, that seesaw back and forth. Um, and when those energies are withdrawn, when they're no longer present, just as for some, restlessness might arise, for others, sloth and tor torpor might arise. It's like a kind of withdrawal process, I think. And for those I mentioned earlier who are habitually kind of hypervigilant, um, the low level of, of ongoing anxiety in life can just drain um, mental and, f and physical energy, just exhausting us so that then when we're in a place where we're we don't have a lot of things to do, then the sloth and torpor will, uh, will just descend on us. <coughs> and sometimes sleepiness and lethargy comes in meditation when there's uh, just an imbalance in the meditative energy. So it's not related to anything emotional or physical. It's, uh, it's really a meditative kind of uh, effect. And uh, I think uh, especially when we're new to practice, um, we're looking for calm, often we're looking for calm. And we cultivate calm with the breath and the breath is quite calming for a lot of us. And we have the intention to be more peaceful. And so we kind of push the calm factor and we soothe ourselves with the breath. And that can, it can really feel great. And it's wholesome, of course, to become calm. But, uh, but we can move into a kind of drifting kind of mind where there's a lot of sort of dreamy, blissful, vision-y stuff going on. And it's called sinking mind in the, in the Buddhist uh, lingo. And it really is, it does feel kind of like sinking into a very pleasant place, but there isn't alertness. 
There isn't a strong awareness, and so mindfulness just isn't possible. Without alertness, we can't be mindful. We want to be both calm and alert. And being both of those at one time, calm and alert, it's not, it, it's not something that comes natural to us, I think, a lot of the time. We think of, we associate calm with uh, a kind of lack of uh, a de- decrease in alertness, just like when we go to bed, you know, we become more calm, we lose alertness, then we go to sleep. But um, uh, that's not what we want in meditation. We want this balance of relaxation and alertness. And so when, there, when calm seems, to, when too much calm and excess of calm seems to be the reason for, uh, for sloth and torpor, seems to underlie it for you, then, it's, then begin to make effort. And whatever the underlying cause is, um, the first way to work with it, once you've recognized it, it's pretty easy to recognize, <laughs> it's loss and torpor usually, is to get interested in it, just like with restlessness, just like with anything. Get interested in it. What's it like in the body? Are there sensations associated with it? Is there warmth, kind of collapsing posture, looseness in the joints? Be interested in how those feel, what they're like. And then we can try to bring more energy into our bodies. We can open our eyes in meditation. That's fine to do. Breathe deeply, focusing on the in-breath, just the opposite of, of the way we, work with, we can work with restlessness because the in-breath brings more energy into the body. Um, you can switch to uh, uh, meditating, listening to sounds if the breath is, uh, is too calming for you. You can do fast walking. You can stand up for doing sitting meditation. It's always okay, I've mentioned that before, to do standing meditation here in the hall. The most important, I think, is to really get interested in our meditation object. That can really be helpful because sloth follows boredom (laughs) and energy follows interest. That's kind of a a cliche, I think, in in the... Mindfulness world, that energy follows interest. It's really true. So what's it like in the mind? You know, what does it feel like? If you can maintain enough awareness to ask that, what's it feel like? What is this fogginess? And sometimes it actually isn't possible to work with it. It's just too strong. It's overwhelming. And um, uh, that made me think of a story that Gil often uh, tells, or has told anyway, about working at uh, Green's Restaurant, um, you know, the restaurant owned by San Francisco Zen Center. In his early days of practice, he worked there as all the, it was all staffed by Zen students. And uh, he would say he'd work all day, you know, a long shift, 10 hours or something, and then come back to Zen Center and go right to sit uh, Zazen. And the first 20 minutes, he was completely gone. He was just out. And then suddenly alertness would just arise. He would just suddenly wake up. And uh, his sense was that he just had a need to mentally let go of the day, just to let go of it and just whoosh, have it be gone and then he could be alert and mindful. So in cases like this, if this kind of thing happens, we just do the best we can, you know. It's important to keep practicing. Don't give up. Just keep practicing. Sleepiness is maybe present, but you can allow it. You can be kind to it. You can be kind to yourself. 
Sometimes uh, sleepiness comes as a result of complacency. And that's especially true with uh, more experienced meditators. You know, we get really comfortable with the way our, our practice is going. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's kind of predictable. It follows the same pattern. Um, it's comfortable. And uh, we just get a little bit lazy, I think, with it. So um, we, for, we, we, we think we don't need to make the effort to be present, as though just be, being present will just naturally be there. But uh, if you see yourself, if, if this you know, seems to arise in your practice, it's time to, to make some effort to arouse a little bit of uh, energy. So both, uh, both of these hindrances, both restlessness and sloth and torpor can be doorways to uh, insight if we don't think of them as mistakes. So it's really easy, you know, when, when either one of them arise, because they're difficult to work with, to think, oh, this shouldn't be here, you know. It's, I, if I was really meditating properly, I, this wouldn't happen. But that's not the case, you know. They come, they go, they come, they go. And uh, if we just bring curiosity, we bring interest, then they can be investigated and known instead of being resisted and indulged or indulged. And it's often said about all the hindrances, don't get over them too quickly. Really, get to know them. Don't believe in them. Don't attack them as intrusions. You know, often we get swept away by them. But if we can turn towards them, they are the path. You know, what's in the way is the way. That's another one of those sayings that's really true. Often they can reveal to us uh, ways that our minds habitually respond to experience that just aren't useful. So we don't need to get rid of them in order to meditate. We just bring curiosity and interest to them, and then we see what they have to teach us. So that's what I have tonight. So let's just uh, let's just sit for a moment and let the let the sounds all kind of uh, resolve into silence. <laughs> 